Well, howdy, everybody. Good to see you. I'm glad to be here. Hope you're glad to be here. I'm excited. My name is Adam. I want to welcome you to Providence Community Church. Tonight we are talking about church, so it's a good time to come and hear about church. We are a church that meets in a space uh, that another church has worshipped in for a long, long time. And uh, we are a church that's an unusual church in that we don't go and have a building. And uh, so this is a good thing that Highland Oaks has been a tremendous blessing for us for this season. I mean, seriously, massively, tremendously blessing. This is fantastic. Um, I'm going to miss the great room. I'm going to miss the fish room in which we keep our stuff. The tank room, as the Riddells call it. I'm going to miss a lot of this. And, uh, and, and it's, just, it's just another way in which we're a nomadic people. And we're able to talk tonight about the church as a body, not as a building, for that reason. That we are uh, this community of folks. And so tonight we're going to look at the church. We're going to look at um, what the church is, or rather who the church is. And we're going to look about uh, how this church is going to look. And so if you would, uh, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12? This is going to be a jumping off point for us. So if you have a Bible, great. If not, well, another great thing about Highland Oaks, y'all, is they got Bibles in front of the pew. So I'm going to miss these blue Bibles too. Once you grab one, turn to the uh, New Testament, the latter half, and find a book called uh, 1 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 12. And while you're turning there, I'd like to remind everybody that we are in a series this summer uh, about the Anabaptist core convictions, okay? And the core convictions were not written by Providence Community Church. They're written by an organization, a network, a group of folk in the United Kingdom. They're called the Anabaptist Network. And what has happened in the 11 years that our church has been around, uh, we've grown up, we've looked up, and we've realized, wow, this is really an articulation of where we've become as a church, and so it should be noted, as I do every week, but I'm going to do it again, that Anabaptism is not a denomination, okay? It's a flavor of theology that has given birth to denominations, such folks like Amish, Mennonites, Hutterites, and some other ites probably, uh, some brethren churches. They, in the last uh, 600 years, since the 1500s, when this movement really began, it, is, uh, it, it has given birth to different flavors and styles, and we just happen to be a Providence Community Church that has woke up and realized, hey, we kind of look like Anabaptists. So we've been talking about this series, and if I was to drill down and just do it, the whole thing on a nutshell, the Anabaptists, whatever denomination, whatever iteration, whatever flavor, really it comes down to people who are committed to not just worship Jesus at a distance, but to follow him in this life. And it was born in a movement in which the church was a lot like an institution or a government organization. It was fused with the state, and it was a way in which you were not only a citizen of a nation, but you were a citizen of the church. You saw that through baptism. Not only did you get a birth certificate, but you were baptized into the church, and it was your incorporation into the state and the church, and for the last, uh, really, since even before that time. 
Really since the 300s A.D., we have lived here in the West in a society in which church is an event you go to, church is a membership or a type of club in which you belong, and church is something that dominates and dictates the culture around us, and we can do that by rubbing elbows with the state, We can look like the state in the way we bless our troops for war. We can look like the state in the way we do money and the way we handle status and wealth and all of these things that we've been talking about. And so Anabaptism began with a group of people out of what's called the Protestant Reformation. If this is all gibberish in Chinese to you, we've got uh, me saying more gibberish in Chinese online, so you're welcome to go back and uh, listen to those if you're crazy. Uh, but, but basically, these people said, you know what, this society, this church society that has grown up really maybe doesn't look a whole lot like Jesus. And uh, so we want to, like the spirit of the Protestant Reformation, we want to go back to Jesus, we want to go back to the first people who followed Jesus, and we want to try to follow along in that, uh, in that stream in their steps. And so they were called Anabaptists because that was a term that was like rebaptizers, again baptizers, and they were called that because they were people that said baptism should be a pledge of allegiance where I'm willing to die for Jesus, I'm willing to align with Jesus' death, and I'm willing to follow him in life, in new life. And that's something that I can make as a pledge, as a grown person. If I'm willing to die for Jesus, then I think I'm willing to be baptized for Jesus. And frankly, for us, that's just not a decision that an infant can make. As much as I want baby Nora to make that right now, I don't even think she can decide when she's going to eat next except to yell at us. And so this is just something we're talking about. But I want to stress here at this point These are not things that should divide us and be barriers to other people outside of our walls, which aren't even our walls, now, next week, or two weeks from now. They should not only be something that divide us from other people, and they should not be things that divide us in-house. And the reason being is because, as we're going to see right here as our jumping off point in 1 Corinthians 12, the church is a body. And it's very important as to whose body that is and how we need to function together in the power of the Spirit to follow Jesus. And so we look back to these streams and look back to these strands to influence how we as a church can look and behave, not just as individuals who follow Jesus, but as a bunch of people who follow Jesus together, okay? Because the body is made up of many parts, many members. And guess what? You're looking at them. Let's hear Paul say it. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. We're looking first at who we are. What is the church? So Paul's writing briefly to this church that is really a mess. They've really got just their harebrained and they're crazy. And he's talking about how the Spirit of God has given us diversity in our gifts. So this is how the chapter begins. But even though there's a diversity, there's still one spirit. And so he's going to carry that analogy through beginning in verse 12. I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture. So listen, read with me. Let's look. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, So as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, 
and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Verse 15. Now if the foot should say, I didn't know feet could talk, but if this foot could, and he said, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, well, I don't belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. He's flipped it. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Because if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So settle in, because we're going to be here for three hours, and there's a lot going on here that I've just got to deal with, so sorry. Look, have you all heard the phrase, I can't see the forest for all the trees? I want to tell you right now, there's a lot of trees in what we're going to talk about tonight. But what I don't want to miss and why I read this is when we think about the church, who we are and how we're to look, we cannot lose a vision of the unified body that Christ has brought together. And the fact that this body is made up of all different parts and they're not indispensable, they're, they're vital and in the context of this, they're vital because the Spirit of God has gifted each part to do a part. And so the body needs to be healthy. The body needs to be unified. But ultimately, we should never lose sight that it is a body. And so really, if we talked about last week, the antidote to status, wealth, and power is a vision of the servant King Jesus. The antidote for all these weird ideas of what church should be the antidote to the weird ideas of what church should be is a vision of the body of Christ. So I'm going to give you a quick definition of maybe what the church is. There's a million different ways to do it. I'm not saying that this is all comprehensive. What I am saying is that this is just for our purposes, for the New Testament purposes, this is at least a basic understanding. It comes in three parts. And this is something, if you look back at the stream of Anabaptism, you're going to find that the church is not simply an event you go to. It is not a building. 
in which you're a club and you come for an hour and you leave. All of these things can get twisted up. But if you read these people, they see the church at the very least as a community of disciples. So here's a quick definition. The church is the community of followers of Christ. Okay? That's the first part. It's the community of followers of Christ. Okay? This makes sense. If it's Christ's body, what are the parts of the body? Well, they're the people that must be in Christ. So people can come and visit and sit and chat, but ultimately the church, the body of Christ, is comprised of the community, the, the diversity, the community of followers of Christ, who are, as I've said a million times already, the second part, the body of Christ. So the church is the community of followers of Christ who are the body of Christ, and therefore watch. Third part, the visible witness of Christ to the world. If you cannot see Jesus physically standing here, he has commissioned us to go and make disciples, as we talked about, to baptize, to teach, to make more and more people added to the body, and yet we cannot see Jesus. We believe that he's alive. We believe that he is with us. We believe that he is guiding us and leading us, but so help us. Jesus' plan A is to leave behind a people empowered by the very Spirit of God to be the visible manifestation of who Jesus was, is, and is about. Teaching, proclaiming the good news that he is the reigning king. When we look around the world and we see all these other pretend kings, we are the people that can come to the poor and be good news to them and feed them and clothe them because Jesus fed and clothed and healed and taught and prayed, and was present, and was kind. We follow Jesus as a community, and we, God help us, are the very first, the plan A, there is no plan B, the visible witness of Christ to the world. What it means to be the body, what it means to be a community of disciples, what it means to be the visible witness of Christ to the world, is for better or for worse, we are to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus, to respond like Jesus, and to preach and point always to Jesus. This is what the church is about. And so it's, it gets so screwy in Dallas when we see, well, I go to this church, okay? Well, do you go to a church or do you belong to a church now, right? Okay, well, this gets real screwy in Dallas when we say, well, I go to this event Saturday nights at five. Well, guess what, folk? In two weeks, this body is gonna meet Saturdays at seven. So I'm glad you're here because you would've been real confused three weeks from now when you show up here at five o'clock. But it's not just an event, of course. Is it an event or is it a community of people? Is this a responsibility, something you're just, just beholden to come to, or is it an identity? Are you a member of a church, or are you an active participant in a church? I think about in high school when I joined an organization that many of you were probably involved with. It's called National Honor Society. Y'all did not know how much of a big deal I was. 
So NHS, man, what do they all tell you? It's got to look good on a college resume and all this stuff. And so I'm the punk kid. Okay, I'll do this, whatever. So I do NHS. They do like this solemn ceremony. And all of a sudden, I realize pretty quick that I've got a deadline and I've got things to do. It's not just something to impress colleges. It is something that I'm willing and actively having to serve in. Church, of course, is not a place where you just come and you try to impress God. It's not a bullet point on your resume. It is something we are called into. We are a body, and bodies are made for working, moving, and enacting in the world in which we live. And we do that on behalf of Christ. So, we need to look like how he looks. So, are we a community of followers of Christ? Are you trying to follow Jesus? This is not about perfection. This is about a place, a community in which you can come and be in process to believe Jesus and to try to follow him in this life. Thinking of our definition, now is Christ's body healthy? Are his limbs working? We must remember we are in Christ. We are his body. He is in us. Does our church bear witness to Jesus? Do we look, sound, act like Jesus to the outsider? Early Christians and early Anabaptists, they would say, we are meeting in homes. The Anabaptists were the first in church history that we know of uh, after the Christendom era, like the very first people in the New Testament when they were persecuted. In the book of Acts, you see them meeting in homes and in dining rooms. The Anabaptists were the first to pick that torch back up. In a society in which there was the institutional church, the state church with big old beautiful buildings, the Anabaptists were the first to come back and say, well, we are a free church. We are separate from these institutions. They are meeting in these places. The Anabaptists were the ones that were calling people to come into their living rooms, to come into their meals and say, don't just come to a building, come and view our lives. See us as we follow Jesus. We're a community of people trying to follow Jesus. And so how does that look when we do that all together? Hopefully you have a white sheet uh, with the seven core convictions on them. We're going to look at those. It can also double as a fan. So that's really good. You need to get a fan going. We're about to go Pentecostal revival on you tonight in the open tent meeting in July. This is the fifth conviction of this Anabaptist network. The church is the body of Christ. This is who we are. So how do we look? Well, the Anabaptist Network has synthesized it and said churches are called to be committed communities of discipleship and mission. Don't just join NHS and put a bullet point. We are committed to each other to look more like Jesus as his disciple and to go and call others to do the same. On our website, who knows? There's an italics thing right on the home page, and it says a community of transformation and mission. We talked about the Great Commission. We talked about how we're sent to go invite other people under the reign of King Jesus. But what was funny about that Great Commission in Matthew 28, if you're following along at home, they were called to Jesus before they were sent out to the world. We must never lose sight of coming to Jesus, being with Jesus, learning from Jesus, because if we're going to be sent on mission, we must first know what it means to follow the one whom we're on mission for. Did you catch that long sentence? 
We must be called. We must be formed before we're sent. And when we do this, we look like Jesus. We find co-workers, co-laborers is a verb, uh, sorry, a, a word you see all throughout the New Testament. And they become places of friendship. Do you know, do you believe that you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, have more in common with the person in Kenya that is 50 years older than you? And if you're 50 years old or older, that's a really old person. But do you know that you have more in common with the person in a different life stage, in a totally different culture, in a totally different environment, if they too are a follower of Jesus, you have more in common with them through the Holy Spirit of God than you do your unbelieving neighbor. But we lose sight of this because we want to do it alone, we want to do it privatized, and we lose sight of the fact that the church is a community of all those people who are seeking to follow Jesus, and they become co-laborers when we're called to Jesus and sent out into the world to make more followers of Jesus, always through the power of the Spirit. But we don't always get this right, of course, so even though we're all friends here, there's this term here, mutual accountability. Mutual accountability. In the Reformation that we've talked about, and if you were in seminary, what they say is the great definition of the Reformation, of the Protestant Reformation, is that a church is a place where the gospel is preached and the sacraments, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper, are rightly administered. The Anabaptists say, hooray, yes, gospel. Hooray, yes, baptism. Hooray, Lord's Supper. And they added a third piece. And they say, if we're followers of Jesus, that means we're not always going to get it right. We need to do it together. And we need to do it in community, not just at a building or an event. Got it? What happens when we mess up? So the Anabaptists really took this idea, and they first got it, guess what, from Jesus. If you look with me in Matthew 18, this idea of accountability. Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17. If our shared goal is to follow Jesus, to look more like Jesus, to be more like Jesus, if our shared goal, that's my goal, that's Amy's goal, that's Pastor Bud's goal, that's Courtney's goal, if this is our shared goal, there should be a mutual understanding in which when I mess up, do you believe that I mess up, y'all? I got my shirt tucked in and I look like I got it all together. When I mess up, I rely on, guess who? My church, my community of other followers in process to stop and say, wait a minute, man. Come back on track. This was a big deal for Anabaptists. This is a big deal today in denominations. They call it in some circles the ban. And they take it from a passage here where Jesus gives us a protocol as to how to involve each other as followers of Jesus to help each other look more like Jesus. But it's got to be done the Jesus-looking way. So they get this idea, mutual accountability. And I'm spending some time on this because Jesus talked about it and because we don't all the time. So look with me, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. You know what I love to do when I'm mad at somebody is go and tell everybody else except for that person, right? Man. 
Point out their fault just between the two of you. Square one, step one, starting one. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Why? Because if our shared goal is to look more like Jesus, as crazy as it sounds in our individualistic culture where you just need to do you and I'll do me, if we want to look like Jesus, wouldn't you imagine if they do it like Jesus, what would it look like when someone comes to you and says, dude, I really think you're out of line here. This doesn't look like Jesus. I think you need to repent. And I love you, but I want to see you get back on track. What would it look like if someone came to you and you said, you know what, dude, you're right. I want to look more like Jesus. That's my goal in theory. Maybe that needs to be my goal in practice. And so rather than being real ticked off at you and going to tell everybody else, maybe I should say thank you and I should go and deal with Jesus, repent, and walk back into the community, welcomed, one back. We're all in process following Jesus together. So he goes on. If that doesn't work, verse 16, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is common practice in that day and age. You've got to vouch for somebody. They need two or three witnesses. So you bring some other friends along. Verse 17, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It's important to note that the church proper... The thing that Jesus is sending the Spirit that he promised to do has not taken place yet. But the idea of mutual accountability is built into a community in which they're trying to follow Jesus and everything he commanded. And so this is the protocol. And what he means to treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector is to say, if you're not in process and on board with us, then dude, you're not with us. But it should never be the first way of doing it. And if you look at the uh, last part of the uh, passage here in verse 20, you're going to hear a verse that whether or not you ever grew up in church, you probably heard. Jesus says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. The Anabaptists uh, really caught the idea that to follow Jesus means that Jesus was with you. And that to do that in community meant that you had the authority of Jesus. And where two or three are gathered is not in a context in which you've heard at some maybe revivals or churches in which you say, well, Jesus wasn't here until one more person showed up. Because where two or three are gathered, Jesus, there you are with us. He's with you if you're with two, three, or 3,000. The context here, if you're still tracking with me, the context here is that Jesus is with his church. Jesus is imploring people to follow him, to come to me, to follow me. We do that together, and you do that with witnesses, and where two or three are gathered, I'm with you, I have the authority, and this is a big-time hallmark for Anabaptism. And we don't talk about it a whole lot. You've heard the words maybe church discipline. So I just want to, this popped up in our conviction. This is one of the trees I wanted to spend some time here because it has everything to do with the fact that we're not perfect. And this is a big deal. And it's a big deal because we all want to look more like Jesus and respond like Jesus. So it's not just that we're in a community 
that's a place of friendship or mutual, mutual accountability. It's not just that we do this. It always has to be how we do this, okay? Because what Paul will say in Ephesians 4.15 is that we are to speak the truth in love. So you can be right all up and down six ways to Sunday, but if you're a jerk about it, well, that doesn't look anything like Jesus. And so it's not just what you do in everything, it's how you do it. So in our church, in the body, when the eye says, dude, this nose is all growing up and it's getting out of my way, the eye needs to say to the nose, in love, you need to calm down there, warty nose. There's a way that we do this, but we always remember we're not perfect. We're in process. We're people following Jesus. To follow Jesus implies that there is a pathway, okay? And you may feel like you're at the long end of the parade where Santa Claus is in the Christmas parade. You're at the very, very end. You want to be up where Snoopy is. Well, the best thing about being in a community is that the community, as we talked about as a body, is made up of many different gifts, many different people, and would you find and look for people to come alongside you wherever you're at in the journey and come alongside and encourage you always, always, always back to Jesus. So when you don't like the things you read in the core convictions, when you don't like the things I say up here, when you don't like the songs that Drew sings, when you don't like the things that Pastor Bud does, which I'm with you, I don't get him. <laughs> These are places in which we need to be gracious, we need to speak lovingly and kindly, and we need to understand that we are diverse, and there's an idea in the Anabaptist network of multi, woo, multi-voiced worship. This is tough. This is tough. This is tough because I'm the one up here talking to you, but what we need to work toward is an idea of friendship, mutual accountability, where people's voices get heard. We want people to be heard at the table. So let's continue on in our conviction here. Oh, let's, uh, let's keep going. So, if we all want to be heard at the table, multi-voiced worship, doing this thing together, as we eat together, not just McDonald's, but sharing the bread and wine, we sustain hope as we seek God's kingdom together, okay? So, y'all still with me? It's warm. We've talked about the church as a body. We've talked about the church as community. We've talked about what it looks like when we follow Jesus together. When we gather together, we sustain each other in the hope that God's kingdom is still coming, that his reign is still working itself out like the mustard seed as we go and make more and more disciples, but there needs to be a quick distinction. We do that as we celebrate the bread and the wine. We do that as a symbol. And for the Anabaptists, they followed against the church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church in the Mass they broke from them there. They broke from there in baptism. And they said that the bread and the wine is not just a doctrine that Jesus gave us, but rather a meal, a place where we can gather together, and it is a symbol of two things. It's a symbol of Christ's death and how we are united to him in it. 
It's a symbol of Christ's death and our unity with him, and it is also a symbol of our unity together because meals are some things we share at our best. And so as we do that as a church, as we eat and as we have hope, we need to know that the church is not the kingdom. Now this is confusing maybe for us, but what we do is we are the church, we are the community of people following Jesus, and we are people manifesting God's reign, symbolized by the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. The church is not the kingdom. The church invites people into the kingdom. Let me tell you what I mean by this. As we sustain hope and seek God's kingdom together, we as a church are an embassy of God's kingdom. If I were to come to Washington, D.C. and find a British embassy there, what happens when I walk through the door of the British embassy? All of a sudden, I'm on British soil. And then I'm going to see high tea, and it's going to look British. And I'm going to have gross sandwiches. Sorry, British people. There's no one in Britain listening to this. I can say whatever I want. (laughs) But we need to love each other. Okay. It's going to look, feel, taste, and smell like Britain. When people walk into our community, when people come and sit at our table, as it were, do they say, ah, this is what the kingdom looks like? And why does this have anything to do with anything? Ah, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what it looked like when Jesus healed people and blessed people and fed people and spoke to people about how God is welcoming all the people you thought were unwelcome. This looks like the kingdom because people are sharing and being generous. This looks like the kingdom. This embassy looks like Britain. This church looks like the kingdom. It points to the kingdom. Why? Because we're followers of Jesus. We're a community of disciples trying to surrender to his reign. Because the kingdom of God is where God reigns. And he ought to reign in this church. Because we're a people in process trying to say, God, more of your reign from heaven as it is on earth. And so we seek that together. And here's what it looks like when it looks like kingdom. We are committed, as the conviction goes on, to nurturing and developing such churches in which young and old are valued, leadership is consultative, roles are related to gifts rather than gender, and baptism is for believers. Young and old valued at the table because in the kingdom, even the poor, the cast off, the meek, all of these people, the kingdom is right there for the taking for them. Young or old, we are to be welcomed equally at the table. And this leadership is not something that is unilateral, that is uh, just what I say goes. This is an idea that we are shepherds together. It is consultative. It is part of this multi-voiced worship in which we are following Jesus together and we recognize the clear New Testament teaching in which sometimes, uh, not sometimes, in the church he gives pastors, teachers, deacons, and these things. Why? Because we're a body and there's many diverse parts. You with me? So now to this piece. If we're going to look like the kingdom, we're going to spend the last few minutes which we talk about roles are related to gifts rather than gender. So I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you've not grown up in, um, 
I don't want to do that. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine that you are a missionary, okay? And you are a missionary that has gone to a place in which no one has ever heard the name of Jesus. You have come to a place where no one has ever read the word of God. And you come to a place, a remote place, and you try and labor for days and days and days and days and days and days, and someone finally says, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And what if that person is a woman? What if that person is a woman in a culture and a tribe in which men rule the show, in which men's word goes, in which the decisions are made and the jobs are worked by men? What do you do then as a Christian missionary who has had a woman come to faith in Jesus Christ. The same spirit that is in you, if you were a man, has empowered and enlivened the life of this woman. And you've got to go. You are the missionary that has got to go. What happens is the church is God capable of doing anything in this culture. It's not just a hypothetical. It is exactly what happened in the New Testament in Acts chapter 16 by a woman named Lydia who was the first Christian convert in Europe. And she was a part of a major city called Philippi that was a Roman colony in a region called Macedonia. And God had called the Apostle Paul from the culture and context and society in which Men dominated society. There was a rigid structural hierarchy of status and wealth. And he receives a vision of a Macedonian beckoning him to come. And in Acts chapter 16, he goes and he preaches to a group of women who are God-fearing, who knew of the Jewish faith and the Jewish way, and they were interested in the Jewish God. And Paul tells them about Jesus. And guess who is hip to Jesus, a woman named Lydia. And the first Christian in Europe, she invited Paul and his co-laborers to stay with her, and we have a letter called Philippians, and we have a continent that has exploded, not just through the ministry of Lydia, inviting these people to stay in her home, and sponsoring and helping the work of Paul, we see this co-laborer, co-relationship in which the Spirit of God knows what he's doing and he knows that the body of Christ is diverse and he knows that different people are gifted in a certain way. And we see Paul Elsewhere in Romans 16, in a society that denigrated women, in a society in which they weren't educated, they weren't, I just want to cast a vision of a kingdom in which man, woman, boy, girl are saved by the same Savior, are empowered by the same Spirit, and loved by the same Father who sees them all as image bearers of Him. And so I don't want to right now change your mind about women in leadership because that's what we're all thinking, right? 
I want to cast a vision for just another introduction. We're just going to begin to talk about this. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. Let's come together this week or next week or month. Let's open the Bible. Let's read Romans 16, where the first servant, the first leader mentioned is Phoebe, who is a deacon who has served. Let's talk about these people that, uh, let's talk about Priscilla who corrected a gifted preacher in our New Testament. Let's talk about that because she was gifted to do so. Let's talk about Mary who is listed in Romans 16 as a servant. Let's talk about Junia who is probably a woman who is called a co-laborer and designated as a part of a team of apostles. Let's talk about the kingdom in which God raises up people for certain things, for certain times. All throughout history, we can talk about Deborah and Esther and whoever you want to talk about. And let's also talk about 1 Corinthians 11 and the places in which Paul seems to explicitly say, women do this and men do this. Let's talk about it. I just want to right now talk to you about a kingdom in which we are a community of believers who are following Jesus together and we have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit enlivening us, equipping us and there's different pieces of the different body and we want to say, I want to say that it seems like God cares more about what he's gifted us to do than how he made us physically. And you need to know that most Anabaptist traditions and denominations don't think this way. You need to know that most evangelical churches don't think this way. You need to know that this is a place where we've got to have some collaboration and love and seek God together, okay? You need to know that the pastor of this church has changed his mind, Previously, and currently, one of the pastors, Lord willing, next week installed me, Mark, in case you're crazy and don't know what I'm talking about. You need to know that we're just trying to follow Jesus and catch a vision for what he's up to. And what this doesn't mean is that next week, guess what? There's going to be three more women pastors. This is just a place in which this is a conviction of this church. This is a place where it could and will inform our practice if God calls us to that. But we're saying that we're all in process. We're saying that we're a church in process. And we're saying, don't let this be a deal breaker. Let's talk about it in love. And we can also talk this week about LeBron going back to Cleveland and how I don't think he's going to get it done there either. We can talk the Mavericks offseason. We can talk about whatever you want to. Let's just talk, okay? It's okay. Let's just talk. This isn't a big thing or an elephant in the room. Can we catch a vision for God and his kingdom and give us some grace that we're all in process together, okay? We also believe that baptism is for believers. Baptism is the entry point of those in life with God, life with Jesus. Baptism is a big deal for us because we believe this is a big deal in the New Testament. It's a pledge of allegiance that you're dying to yourself, that you're living to Christ. And these are a lot of the trees but we are a body. We are a community of disciples trying to follow Jesus. We are his body, and we are the visible witness to the world. So if you disagree, when you disagree, when you're upset, the visible witness of Christ, we must always seek 
to look like Christ, speak like Christ, act like Christ, and know that Christ himself in John 17 prayed that we would be one. And through the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John, who heard these words of his, wrote in one of his letters, he said that they will know you The world will know you. The outsiders will know you. Not because of your awesome building. Not because of all the right answers. Not because of all your cool beliefs. They will know you by your love for one another. And so wherever you land with this stuff, great, fine. Because we're all in process. Guess what? Y'all want to really freak you out? I'm not going to believe exactly everything I believe today that I will 15 years from now, Okay? Because we need to be open to God. We need to keep seeking Jesus, keep following Jesus, whether we're meeting at Highland Oaks or this new place or wherever we're at next time. Because the church is a body and the church is in process. The church is always trying to go to Jesus, to learn from Jesus. What's next, Jesus? Be with us, Jesus. We know you're with us, Jesus. And we pray that your kingdom would come, your will would be done, not only in my life, but in the lives of everybody I'm sitting around right now so that we could look more like you to a world that needs you. That's where we're at, okay? I love you guys. I'm excited about next week. I'm excited about the future of this church wherever we meet, okay? We're gonna continue to seek Jesus, to follow Jesus wherever you're at. You're welcome to come, okay? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this time tonight. Thank you for loving us, for calling us to yourself. Thank you for a Savior who gives us rest when we need it. Thank you for a Savior who is so patient with us. May we be patient with each other. May we continue to talk and work this out as we follow you and seek you. A community trying to speak truth and love, not just to each other, but to the watching world. Would we make you look just a fraction of how good you really are. We need you for that. So as we come to the table, Lord Jesus, would we take the bread, the wine, into our bodies, knowing that we are in you and you are in us, and that it would be a symbol of unity Not because we all look the same or act the same or think the same, but we're united because you unite us and we're united for the good news that you reign. So would you bring us more and more unity, more and more self-sacrificial love for each other so the world would know that you are good and you are king and you are inviting every person to the table. Would we be faithful? Bless us. We know you are with us. We thank you for that. Amen.